Well, what do you think uh, the key is to being happy in life? Uh, There are certainly a lot of different answers available out there. Uh, Director Woody Allen said, The talent for being happy is appreciating and liking what you have instead of what you don't have. Well, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, Robert A. Heinlein was nicknamed the Dean of Science Fiction Writers, and he said this, One of the sanest, surest, and most generous joys of life comes from being happy over the good fortune of others. I think there's truth to that, too. Here's uh, Here's what Einstein said. He was a smart guy. A table, a chair, a bowl of fruit, and a violin. What else does a man need to be happy? Well, those things are good. Those things are good. I want you to to really think about this last quote from the Dalai Lama. I won't quote him much. He said, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. The purpose of our lives is to be happy. Now, I think that quote is as dangerous as it is accurate. If we define happiness as pursuing whatever our flesh desires, we become enslaved to the pursuit of pleasure. But God has revealed that true happiness is found in Him. We exist to glorify God by pursuing our greatest joy in God. So in that sense, what the Dalai Lama said is provocatively true. We exist to be happy in God. Within Psalm 16, the passage that Jean read for us is a syllogism. It's a, uh, or a deductive argument for joy in God. Together, what we're going to do is extract that argument from the passage uh, so we can better know how to be most happy. Here's the argument. God is joy. God is supreme joy. God gives himself. Therefore, God gives us supreme joy. God gives us supreme joy. Does that argument hold up? That's what we want to see. So, first off, God is joy. Think about what causes joy. What causes happiness? How many of you watch The Price is Right? Do you have any prices? Have you ever seen The Price is Right? Okay. My goodness. Now, I think it's fun to watch the people's reactions on the show to the prizes. It's pretty extraordinary, actually. So, when the guy comes and says... The first item up for bid is a lovely dinette set. Everyone's kind of like, oh, all right. Golf clap, golf clap, okay. They like it. You know, it's the dinette set, and they, they might not have one. But no one goes crazy. But when he says, a new car, what happens? Everybody erupts. They go crazy for this car. It might even be a terrible make and model of car, and they still love it. Now, what's the difference? The greater celebration and response is caused by the greater value and desirability of the prize. That's simple. The greater value, the greater the joy. David wrote in Psalm 16:5, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Now, you have to understand that land was really, really important to Israel. God divided out land and gave it to the tribes. However, the Levites didn't get any land. Uh, They could keep some tithes and sacrifices as provision, but no land. 
God told Aaron in Numbers 18, 20, you shall have no inheritance in the land, neither shall you have any portion among them. No land. But notice how verse 20 finishes. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Is God better than land? For David to say, the Lord is my chosen portion, is for him to say, God, you are my wealth and inheritance. God, you surpass expansive real estate and investments through land. Notice what the musician sang in Psalm 43, 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, or literally, to God the joy of my rejoicing. God is the object of joy in the rejoicing. We see this in Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. You know, above the protection, above the safety that God gives, God is the center of the joy. He is what is to be rejoiced in. Exaltation, great rejoicing, exuberant joy expressed is in God not simply the protection he gives. What happens if you wake up tomorrow only to find that everything precious to you is gone? Gone. Completely gone. Not to be gained back. Friends, gone. Family, gone. Health, gone. Investments, gone. House, gone. Would your joy also be gone? The question is not whether you would feel sorrow. All of us would, of course. I guess what I'm really asking is, is the source of your joy something that can be taken from you? Because if your joy is in something that can be stolen or lost, your happiness is really wobbly and unstable. Listen to the disaster of Habakkuk 3.17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines... The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Doesn't that sound like the end of joy, especially for an agrarian culture? Um, That's a bad day. That's a bad year. Success is gone, and so is joy, right? Isn't that how it works? Listen to how Habakkuk responded in verse 18. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He didn't say, I will rejoice when God restores all my wealth and success and makes me shine. He didn't say, I will rejoice or take joy in my salvation, though that's really great. He said, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. When everything in your life is gone, joy can only remain strong if your joy is God who cannot be taken from you. The entire foundation series has presented to you the foundations of unshakable and unspeakable joy found in the presence of God. Psalm 21.6, For you make Him most blessed. Forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. 
You know, true joy is the presence of God. God with us. First Chronicles 16.27 says, Joy is in His place. So much of what we enjoy can be taken from us. In a second. Gone. Never to be regained. And we can do nothing about it. That's reality. But when David says in Psalm 16.5, You hold my lot. He is saying, You guard and protect what you have given me. Our joy is protected by God. He secures it. He will never leave you joyless. He just won't do that. That's against his character. The gospel says God is joy. And not only that, God is supreme joy. He is supreme joy. In verse 2, David says, I have no good apart from you. You know, if you take God out of life, everything is simply meaningless. It's meaningless. But then, oddly enough, in verse 3, David says that all of his delight is in the excellent ones or God's people. Is he contradicting himself? See, he's saying on the one hand, you're the only good I have, God. Apart from you, I don't have any good. But all my delight is in your people. That doesn't seem to square. Here's what I think he's saying. If your highest joy is God and yet you greatly delight in God's people, like David did, it's because God is in his people. The joy David expresses for God's people exists because of the joy David has in God himself. Simply apply what David is saying to your own life. My grades and honor roll and college scholarship are no good apart from God. My friends and weekends and parties are no good apart from God. My hard work and investing and retirement plan are no good apart from God. My plans and dreams and goals and hopes are no good apart from God. Do you realize that the best pleasures in your life are meaningless apart from God? David's point is that God is the supreme good, the highest joy to be experienced, and that everything else is merely a secondary pleasure. When secondary pleasures become primary pleasures, wave goodbye to true joy. Anytime we make secondary joys the source of our joy, not that we can't enjoy them, but when they become the source of our joy, we will only be disappointed and we will reactivate the cycle of once again searching for sustainable joy that we can't find. Perpetual, just keeps on going. The problem with materialism and hedonism is that that which starts out as the source of our joy, after time, inevitably becomes the source of our unhappiness. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full. Completely full. Nothing else can deliver to you what Christ can. And you know, none of us will stop pursuing our joy in meaningless things until we believe that God is the supreme joy that we crave. Until we realize that that this desire inside of us is actually a desire pushing us to God. We want Him If we ignore God, we say, no, 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 there's some other things in life that I 
I think, are better. We should at least notice how brief pleasure is in everything else, that it is fleeting. Job 20, verse 5 says, The exalting or the great rejoicing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment. Do the wicked and the godless people, do they have great parties and celebrations? You know what? We we honestly have to say yes. They throw some massive parties that are pretty joyful and pretty celebrative, okay? But the thrill only lasts for a short time. Uh, Godless people rejoice, but their joy vanishes like a a vapor in the wind. It's gone. It's here now. We love it now. But in just a little bit, It's gone. It's gone. Your joy will end. Sin brings a certain level of happiness. I think we can all say that. There is some fulfillment to sin, but it is so limited. It is joy with an expiration date. The sin party is fun for a time, but after it dies down, it leaves this big mess to clean up. Haven't you experienced this? This is where I live. Uh, This is my life. I go after and chase after and try to grab, but then find, ah, it wasn't really what I was looking for. And I'm disappointed once again. Have you heard of Wayne Heisinger Jr.? I don't know if you know that name or not. His father built waste management into a Fortune 500 company. And Wayne Jr. helped his dad build Blockbuster Video into a successful company back a few years, of course. Uh, Wayne had everything. He had a disposable, huge disposable income. He had a yacht. He had a big home. He visited clubs. He got uh, drunk a lot. And he said in his testimony, his Christian testimony after being converted, that was my life, an incredible banquet of all the things the world had to offer, but just never getting full, never being satisfied. Suddenly, I was lost, happy, but unfulfilled. Something was missing. He admitted it. Something was missing. He could tell it. He wasn't fooling anybody. Something's just not right. When you live for secondary pleasures, you may experience joy for a time. He said he was happy but unfulfilled. So you may have happiness for a time, but it is ultimately unfulfilling because we have no good apart from God. When David wrote that he had no good apart from God, he knew that all other joys were inferior. They were less than best. They were secondhand joys. God was better. And and I'm wondering about your faith. Do you actually believe that God is better? Isn't that what saving faith is about? I have Jesus. Jesus is better than what the world has to offer me, so I gladly sell it all to gain him. I wonder if that's the faith that you have. Oh, I pray for it. The blessings we receive from God, the things that he gives us, are incredible, but God is better than even the gifts that he gives us. God gives himself. He gives himself. In verse 1, God was David's place of safety. In verse 6, David talks about the beautiful inheritance God gave him. In verse 7, God gives David counsel. In verse 8, David is not shaken because God is at his right hand. In verse 10, God does not abandon David. These are all joyful things that we receive through fellowship with God, but God is the prize. Asaph, the songwriter, wrote in Psalm 73, 25 and 26, Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What makes the good news good is God. What is there on earth that can rival the pleasure found in God who created pleasure? Who knows pleasure better than any of us? What little hit of a pleasure can you experience here that can compete against an eternal pleasure there? Asaph was right. Our flesh and our heart will fail. We'll chase after some other pleasures. And yet God gives us strength by His grace and He alone is our portion forever. When I say God gives Himself, we have to understand how He does that. God gave us His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come and to live a perfect life in the place of sinners, to die a death in the place of sinners, to resurrect with the power over the grave and sin and Satan and hell for sinners so that one day they may be raised to new life again. God has given us a radical sacrifice in Jesus Christ on the brutal cross that restores our relationship with God so that we are no longer estranged and unfulfilled but reconciled and eternally fulfilled in God the Father. Our joy is found in receiving grace, grace upon grace upon grace. What I desire for you as your pastor, I desire it for me too. It would sound unselfish if I said me first, wouldn't it? I want, I want it. And I want you to have it too. A joy that doesn't end when the party's over. A joy that just keeps Going and is sustained all throughout eternity. I want you to be happy. I want to be a church that pursues at all costs our happiness in God. I don't want you to have a brief happiness. I don't want you to have this half-hearted happiness where at the end of the day you're thinking, oh, this is great, but it just doesn't do it for me long term. I don't want that for you. I want us to be a radically happy church. A radically joyful church. Marriage is is really an incredible illustration of God giving himself to us as the, the prime gift. In marriage, you give yourself to your spouse. This is why God glorifying chastity is so important before marriage. You give all of yourself to your spouse, joyfully giving it to them for their joy, for their edification, for their enjoyment. You give yourselves to them. You're cherishing them. You're loving them. God did that for you. He gave himself to you to enjoy so that your full joy, your your maximized joy may be restored to you. He sanctifies you. He cleanses you. He presents you to himself with splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. To have the groom say to the bride, I married her for her tax benefits. Well, what is that? This is not off to a good start. And if the bride is like, nah, I married him for his income. At least I'm honest. I mean, this is, not, this is not marriage. Marriage is giving yourself fully to the other person in love and affection. Marriage is so precious because a man and a woman are giving themselves to each other. And in the gospel, God gives himself to us, which is the greatest joy available to us. 
The gift of God brings immeasurable joy when God cleans up your life, when He redeems you by grace from sin and death. Your joy in Him is finally restored. It's sweet. You get God and therefore the completeness of joy. God is joy. God is supreme joy. God gives Himself. Therefore, when God gives himself to you, he's giving you supreme joy. He's giving you the best of the best, the cream of the crop. He's giving you the, the thing that will finally make you most happy, the thing that you've been longing for, the thing that you've been searching for for so long. He just gives it free. Now, Christ paid for it, but he gives it to you free. Do you see the logic If God is joy, and if He is the highest joy available, and if God gives Himself to us, then it follows naturally that He is giving us the highest joy available to us, a joy that won't disappoint us. Do you believe that, Jerusalem? You're in trouble if you don't. You're killing your joy. You're making yourself miserable by not running and saying, that's my joy in the cross. That's my joy, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that God is better? Or do you look through the hole in the fence and you're looking at the grass on the other side saying, well, I think it's greener. It's greener. I wish I was on the other side. How's your heart? Now, if you do say, yeah, I have that. I believe God is better. Do your priorities reflect that? How you organize your life. Do you actually value Him? Because... It should be pretty evident. What about your priorities? Look at your priorities closely. Study them and you will find where the greatest source of your joy is. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? What do you prioritize above everything else? That's your treasure. That's your joy. Can it be taken from you? Or is it truly Jesus? If it's Jesus, you're going to be a radically happy person. You just will be. And, and a little challenge here. It's not in the notes. This one's for free. If you look at your heart and you don't see much joy, I think you need to think long and hard about your faith. What are you putting it in? David wrote in verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My whole being. In literal Hebrew, it's, And my glory rejoices. All that we are celebrates the presence of God in our lives. Other joys may delight our bodies, our senses for a time, uh, but never as deeply as God's joy, which thrills our whole being. David's whole being rejoiced because he had received a superior joy. In Psalm 4-7, David wrote, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Let the grain flow, let the wine flow. I have a better possession in God. Let the culture bless them because I have God, I have Christ. I have something better than grain and wine. There is joy in worldly pleasures, in possessions, but the greater joy, the best joy is found in God. God gives more joy to those with whom he gives his saving grace than to those he gives only his common grace or the things that are temporal, the things of the world. Because you know what? The person who rejects God and is filthy rich, guess who gave him the riches? God did. But the one who has his saving grace has way more joy than the one who has only his common grace or his common blessings. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. David wrote in Psalm 16, verse 11, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you say that your hunger is sated, it means your hunger is fully satisfied. Completely satisfied. You're not hungry anymore. Surfeit would be another very weird word that I found. Surfeit would be another word meaning you have been a complete pig with your eating. You just went crazy and just stuffed it in and you've eaten yourself full. You ate so much you overdid it. It's the college kid at a midnight buffet. They're just cramming it in. That's the essence of verse 11. In your presence there is gluttonous joy. Overflowing, abundant, full joy. Now I'm a guy that loves pleasure. I love pleasure. And without God, I'd be a complete hedonistic pagan, pursuing my pleasure at all costs. I'd be a complete waste. And uh, God has used what I'm preaching now to show in my life that he is a superior pleasure. And if I love pleasure so much, I can do nothing but pursue it in him, in him, And uh, this is the wrestle. This has transformed my faith. But it's a constant struggle on a daily basis to live this out. I've realized I must pursue my pleasure and highest joy. And the only way to truly do that is by pursuing God. Because God is the fullness of joy. And I know that the Bible teaches this. I know that he, He is unbeatable. Of course that's what the Bible says. But part of... Believing the truth is seeing it hold up in our own experience of life. I think the Bible is our standard, but then we have this experience. And, and if the Bible doesn't test out right, we're going to be suspicious of it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking, does this actually prove true in our lives, what I'm saying? Of course the Bible says it, but does it prove true? And I think that it does. I think it holds up. Here are two things to consider. If material things are able to fully satisfy human desires, you can get all that you want from this earth, if that can do it for you, then why are so many people who have material things so miserable? Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, Michael Jackson, Kurt Cobain, Chris Farley, Brittany Murphy, Jim Morrison, Judy Garland, John Belushi, Jimi Hendrix, Heath Ledger, all massively talented people, extremely rich, extremely famous, And yet would anyone look at their lives and say, they were truly happy. They're all all deceased. Some of them died choking on their own vomit. Is that full joy? Secondly, if material or earthly things are the highest pleasure, then why are so many people without worldly success so absolutely happy and fulfilled? I've visited some really poor countries. I've been to Jamaica three times. And when you meet Christians in these countries, they do not have much. Russia don't have much. But man, are they happy. So much so where I'm looking thinking, what's wrong with me? I mean, these people are happy. One of the happiest people I know is Johnny Erickson Tata. She is a quadriplegic and has had intense pain and struggle in her life. And years ago, Johnny was diagnosed on top of what she already has with breast cancer. And um, this is how she responded to finding out she has breast cancer. 
I want to assure you that I am genuinely content to receive from God whatever He does, deems fit for me, even if it is from His left hand. Because better something from His left hand than no hand at all, right? Another time Johnny said, When I was on my feet, big boisterous pleasures provided only fleeting satisfaction. In a wheelchair, satisfaction settles in as I sit under an oak tree on a windy day and delight in the rustle of the leaves or sit by a fire and enjoy the soothing strains of a symphony. These smaller, less noisy pleasures are rich because unlike the fun on my feet, these things yield patience, endurance, and a spirit of gratitude, all of which fits me further for eternity. It is this yieldedness that gains you the most here on earth. She's happy. She's happy. And we would look at her situation and say, that's too much to swallow for me. And yet, I think that situation for her produced greater happiness. Why? Because Jesus is the source of her happiness. It's the gospel. I believe for Johnny, Psalm 51.8 is true. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. I believe Johnny, who has lost so much, can truthfully quote Psalm 92, 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Johnny is one of the happiest people that I know of. And it is for one reason only. She treasures God as her utmost joy. The Christians of Hebrew 10, 34 were visiting their Christian friends in prison. And while they were Uh, doing that, their personal property was being robbed and seized as a result of their kindness for these people in prison. And the Bible tells us that they were joyful during this time. How is that possible? Well, Hebrews 10.34 answers, they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. They enjoyed God more than the stuff that's getting stolen and they can't stop. Same thing in 2 Corinthians 8-2 where Paul wrote about the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, how does an abundance of joy and generosity come from affliction and extreme poverty? The world says that's mixed up. Your joy comes from when you have everything that you could ever want. But this is seeming to say something different. Here's the reason, because full joy transcends circumstances and can even increase through bad circumstances. Do you want a joy like that? Where if something beats you down, you just get happier. It's a resilient joy. You can't be kept down. I mean, I want that. I want that. How could Paul say in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Things are not going well. But man, am I happy. You just can't touch a guy like that. Paul was unbelievable. Even affliction cannot stifle joy in God. Here's a couple practical things to draw us to to an end. What kills joy in your life? Well, a good way to kill joy is to pursue any secondary pleasure as the source of your joy. Why? Because it never delivers you 
what it promises you. You're always disappointed. Lasting joy will be snuffed out in you when you ultimately delight in things that can be stolen or lost. Secondly, what produces joy for you? God does. God produces joy. To be truly happy, you must find your highest joy in God. Remember Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit? One of those fruit of the Spirit is joy. The Spirit produces joy in you. It's grown and produced by God. And I believe that when you find your highest joy in God, that all the secondary pleasures of life will also increase in happiness. You'll be more fulfilled in things like your family and your marriage and whatever God chooses to give you in your business or your income. You'll just be happier all around. It works. It works. Lastly, what do we do if we don't have joy? What do you do if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, I'm I'm just a mess right now. I am not happy. I haven't been for years. Well, a great place to start is to confess your lack of joy in God. Repent of your sin of not being happy in God. And ask him to, like David, restore to you the joy of your salvation. That's what David did when he sinned with Bathsheba and made a royal mess of this whole situation. He went to God and said, restore to me the joy that only you give. You have to do the same. You could plead with God to reveal to you anything in your life that you value more than him than wait, listen, and act. Say, God, reveal to me what I'm valuing most right now, even if it's painful. And when he does, listen to him and act upon it. By turning, Um, ask for grace. Ask for him to increase your joy. Another way is to increase your joy, uh, is to increase your commitment to one another here at Jerusalem. Don't be a spiritual hermit. Don't crawl off and try to do it on your own. We can help each other pursue our joy. That's what this church is about. Helping each other pursue, helping others pursue their ultimate joy in God Build relationships with each other. Get involved in our church. There's an incredible amount of joy that comes through enjoying deep fellowship. Not just surface stuff, not just, hey, how's your profits this year? Great. No, dig into each other's lives. There's joy in that. You remember what David said? He said his joy, all of his delight was in God's people. The excellent ones. Uh, Here's something else. Throw a party in your heart when something bad happens to you because you're a Christian. I'm getting that on the authority of Luke 6, 22 through 23. We can rejoice whenever bad things happen here because we have something far better there. Um, You know, I find when I don't study God's word for a while, I have this hollowness inside of my heart. I can feel it. It throws me off. And so I think it might prove true for you too to study your Bibles. That's one way to fight for joy. In God, if you haven't read your Bible in a week, you're going to be feeling it. Uh, it's just true. Um, so study God's word to increase your joy. Psalm 19.8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Do you want something to rejoice your heart, to woo you to more joy? Read God's word. Study it. Um, God is joy. God is supreme joy. God gives himself. Therefore, God gives you supreme joy. He gives you everything. Trust God with your joy. Trust Him with your contentment. Trust Him, trust Him, trust Him. He will not fail you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this good word from Your Scripture. I want to be happy, and I know my friends at Jerusalem do too.
And uh, some of them are pursuing happiness right now in things other than you. And they're finding that it's not working. Or maybe they don't even know it yet. And today has been a realization for them that that ache inside of them is exactly what your word has been addressing today. And so I, I just pray for the person who's not very happy that you will increase their joy by taking them deeper into fellowship with you. That Christ would become more sweet and more precious to them. That you would have a breakthrough of faith in their lives. Wake us up, God, to joy. May we be Christian hedonists pursuing our pleasure at all costs in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. I pray that we can be happy, a happy, joyful church, a welcoming and compassionate church where those outside that meet someone from Jerusalem can say, man, that place is joyful. What is going on there? The Spirit must be working. So God, uh, we know you have to do this, and I pray for it. I pray in my own heart that I can stop meddling in the things of this world and trying to find joy where it's impossible to find. And uh, God, give me fullness of joy in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.